Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, may we come and just sing of the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And may your name just be wonderful and great. And may we always sing its praises as we invite you to join with us this morning. Lord, let us express our love for you. Let us celebrate your presence among your people and among your church, your bride. And Father, may you be glorified in all that we do. And we pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Take your Bibles. Join with me in Mark chapter 13. As we begin a new chapter, it's going to be an interesting chapter. It will take us several Sundays to get through it. The beginning of birth pains. Jesus knows that his last days before the crucifixion is near. Even though his disciples and others have accepted him as the Messiah, we have seen that the religious leaders have not. Not only have they rejected Jesus, but they are now conspiring together to put him to death. Jesus promises judgment on those religious leaders and all those that have rejected his kingdom and rule while promising to reward those that have embraced his kingdom, his message, his ministry, and the man. In today's passage, Jesus crushes the object of admiration for the disciples as well as all of the Israelites, the Jewish nation, as they go from pride to humiliation in Jesus' prophecy. As you take your Bibles, it's also on the screen. We're going to read Mark chapter 13, those first 13 verses together. Read silently with me as we go. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See, that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. Verse 8. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before the governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, Do not be anxious there beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who will speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver a brother under to death, and the father his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Father, we come before you. What strong language, what a strong, strong exhortation and warning. Father, be with us this morning as we open up your word and we try to understand this discourse. Father, thank you for it. I thank you that Mark has recorded it. 
that we may read it, that we may try to understand. Lord, give us interpretation that is pleasing and that is right. Lord, help us to respond in faith to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the longest discourse or talking or conversation teaching in Mark's gospel. It's given at the Mount of Olives that overlooks the temple. Jesus is spending his last days giving some pastoral advice to encourage and to prepare his disciples for the trials, the persecutions, and sufferings that are about to come with after Christ's death and resurrection. Now, there are several big themes. We're going to look about three or four of them, if you'd like to take notes. The first big theme that we're going to see is that the end of the old order is near. The end of the old order is near. Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The religious leaders have failed. All that they had will be given over to a new people, Jesus has taught. Jesus pronounced judgment on them through the parable of the wicked tenants that we saw in chapter 12, when he says, what will the owner of the vineyard do to those wicked tenants that have killed his only son? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. The end of the old order will culminate with the destruction of the temple. Their place of worship, their, their, their place of sacredness will be destroyed. Disciples walking with Jesus tell him to look as they marvel at the gorgeous and the beauty of the temple. It was considered their most sacred and high place. The destruction of Herod's temple began in the year 20 B.C. And it was still undergoing additions all the way up till 70 A.D., right when it was destroyed. Some stones were as big as 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. The stones were gleaming white marble with the entire eastern covered with golden plates that shone brightly with the rising sun. Hence, you'll see that verse that we read earlier of Mount Zion. You're seeing the, the temple and its beauty. Author Paul Meyer, in reflecting on Josephus, who was a first century historian, and he gives a description of the temple. He writes that the exterior, the outside of the temple, was covered with massive plates of gold which brilliantly reflected the sun and from a distance appeared like a snow-covered mountain since whatever was not plated with gold was of purest white. And the, mount, being in the temple being on a mount, as you would walk up an elevation going towards Jerusalem, you would see this beautiful temple. It was a source of pride. Maybe very similar to how you and I now consider, you know, the Statue of Liberty or the Washington Moment or Monument or how we used to think of the Twin Towers and now the Freedom Towers. It was special to them. Their identity was this place. To curse the temple was considered blasphemy. It was a holy place. The place they believed God once resided in just a few days, the religious leaders will use these very words against Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, the first martyr, Stephen, preaches, and they set up false witnesses who said about Jesus, this man never speaks words against this holy place. And this law, for we have heard him say this, this Jesus will destroy this place. After the Jews rebuilt the temple after their return from Babylon, there is no indication that God's presence ever dwelt there as it had in the tabernacle or in the first temple of Solomon, as we read earlier through Randy's scripture reading. God's presence will eventually come to that second temple, but in a form which the Jews would not recognize 
as the Apostle John tells us, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came. He was once again filled with the presence of God, but yet He came to His own, and His own people did not receive them. You see, the temple has been replaced with something better. That's Jesus. Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 12 that something greater than the temple is here speaking of himself, but yet they did not recognize that. So Jesus now leaves the temple never to return, leaving it to its future destruction. Jesus at this point considers the temple irrelevant. The temple has become an idol itself. It's no longer a place of worship, but a place of idolatry. Jesus had accused them earlier when he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus declares, as we look here, the end of the old order has come, and that's going to culminate with the destruction of the temple. Now, that brings some questions from the disciples. In verse 3 or 4, we see that they have a question, what's going to be the sign? Tell us what is going to be the sign that this is about to happen or the end is near. When will the temple be destroyed? And what are the signs that these things are about to happen? You see, the temple's destruction was considered the end of the age. To them, that was a marker. If the temple was going to be destroyed, then something new must be coming. With the appearance of the Messiah, the coming of the kingdom of God must be near. Remember, they're still confused about what the mission of the Messiah is. They still believe the mission entailed an earthly, national, ethnic kingdom, and that the Messiah would defeat all of Israel's enemies and usher in a time of peace and restoration of the land back to Israel and to the tribes. However, Jesus will tell them, that his kingdom is not of this world, but is also something much greater than a national ethnic kingdom. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. When we speak of the end of the old order is near, what we see is the temple is irrelevant. It's no longer necessary. The sacrifices are no longer necessary. The worship at the temple is no longer necessary. Something greater is taking place. In Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 25, starting there. The writer of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus and Jesus coming to give his life, says, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. Remember at the temple, they had to repeatedly offer sacrifices every day and every year. But he says, Not what, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for them. So when they ask the question, they see that an end must be near. If the temple's going to be destroyed, then that must be the end of the age. And so what is going to happen for them? They believe it's a restoration of Israel, but what we see that something different is happening here in the Gospels. 
Well, instead of answering their question directly, Mark shows that Jesus actually was more interested in preparing his disciples for the trials that laid ahead by giving them some exhortations as well as giving them some warnings. So yes, the temple will be destroyed, but that's not just the end. That's the beginning of some things that are going to happen. So here's the third theme that I want to cover this morning, is that Jesus warns against the deceivers and false signs. Jesus says, beware or see that no one leads you astray, or look that no one would deceive you. Why? Because there's going to be two constants. Here's some things that you and I need to realize are going to be constant in this world. The first one is world calamities. World calamities. He says that there are going to be false messiahs. There are going to be false prophets. And there were several prominent self-proclaimed messiahs several years after the resurrection, including Theodos in 46 AD and John of Gesalia in 70 AD, and then another one in 135. Even in this generation, there's been at least 21 proclaimed messiahs in the 20th century alone. People who said, I am the messiah. David Koresh, Jim Jones, Charles Manson, others who may not claim to be Jesus, but claim to be the Messiah, the chosen one. This is going to be a constant in the world. They want to know, well, what's the sign of the end of the age? What's the sign of all of this happening? He says, well, listen, here's some things you need to be aware of. There are going to be some things that are going to be constant. You're going to see this ongoing. One of them is false messiahs. He says, don't be worried. Don't follow the one that says, I am here, that I have returned, for I have not. So he warns them, do not be led astray. They'll lead many away, but do not be some of those. He says, there'll be man-made disasters like war and conflict. He says, they'll hear of wars and you'll hear rumors of wars. But he says, do not be alarmed. Why? For wars and conflict is the constant state of man and a fallen nature. There have been over 1,044 wars since 43 A.D. There have only been 32, or there there have been uh, 32 conflicts that average over 1,000 deaths just since 1948. According to an article in the New York Post, in 2003, so this is 13 years ago, he says of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely appeased For only 268 years of them, that's just 8% of recorded history, have we had years of which there was entire peace. At least 108 million people were killed in wars in just the 20th century alone. Estimates for those killed throughout all of human history range from 150 million to a billion. At the beginning of 2003, there were 30 wars going on around the world. And you and I know of wars just as we turn around. We just even see Bangladesh and little wars and little skirmishes. This is going to be a constant. He says, do not be alarmed. And then things like natural disasters, like earthquakes and famines. According to one University of Colorado department, over 8 million people have died over the last 2,000 years just earthquakes. While during the 20th century, an estimated 70 million people have died from famines across the world. What does Jesus say? Watch out. Do not be alarmed. 
Do not be deceived. Do not be filled with anxiety at these wars and rumors of wars. These things must happen. It is part of God's plan. So their question is, we're looking for the end of the age. When will it come? He says, do not be alarmed. For we see the key in verse 8, the last part, that last sentence. We find the key thought. For Jesus says, all of these things, these false messiahs, these wars and conflicts, these earthquakes and famines, these deaths, these calamities, these anxieties, these are just the beginning, or these are the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains is used as a human illustration. The beginning of birth pains usually is infrequent. They're short, yet they're sharp and painful only to increase in frequency and severity as time goes by. You and I must realize that we live in a troubled time, but it's been that time for, since the beginning. Labor and childbirth is often pictured in the Bible for suffering. In Romans 8.22, we see that creation itself has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In Romans, the next verse, in verse 23, it says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, believers who have been the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. It's also been used in Micah as a judgment for sin. When he says, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Your counselor perished that the pain seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. How is Jesus answering their question of when will the temple be destroyed? What is the sign of the end of the age? He says it's going to be these calamities, but do not be alarmed. Do not be filled with anxiety. These things must be a constant. It's like child pain, child uh, bearing childbirth. The second constant is one that affects you and I a little bit more deeply. For many of us, sometimes, especially in America, we're not always covered with these types of things. We don't always see these things. We live in a society which can be protected from many of these types of calamities and sufferings, but yet there's one that's even going to be more personal. We see that in verses 9 through 13, when Jesus says, be on your guard. The second constant is not only world calamities, the second constant is suffering for the faith. What you and I have to realize is that the close of the age includes suffering for the faith. Be on your guard. They'll deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before the governors. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. His father and his child shall be separated. You see, suffering and persecution will come to those that trust in Christ. But let me share with you, because this is what Jesus truly wanted his disciples to know. In essence, what he's saying, it really doesn't matter when it's going to happen. What you need to do is be prepared for when it comes. And he says that you need to be prepared for suffering and persecution. For suffering and persecution will be used as opportunities to witness. He said, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before me. You and I must realize that suffering is part of our witness. That's why scripture calls us to embrace it, to endure it, to live through it. 
He never tells us to escape from it. It never tells us to run from it, but it tells us to recognize for what it is. Scripture informs us that believers are going to suffer the faith, deception, and hardness of heart. And that believers will also suffer from breaking of natural family ties and hatred for our belief and our stand for Jesus. And I know some of you right now that are suffering from a break of natural relations in which there is conflict in the home because of your faith. And even here today, we see many of us are going to be suffering even in in our social life because of our stand for Christ. We see it now with our politics. We see it with our education. The Bible says, be on guard. Do not be alarmed. These things are constant. And like birth pains, they may be sharp, they may be infrequent, but as it goes, it's going to become more and more. And you and I now are seeing that in our political and cultural and social aspect. For our children, sometimes it gets very close to despair. What type of life will our children live? What type of school systems will they live under? What type of government will they live under? It's scary. But these times of suffering will allow our witness and the gospel to be magnified. You see, there's several promises that he gives us here. And this is really where Jesus, where Mark is trying to point to. It's not a fact that the temple is going to be destroyed. And it was. You and I understand that and know that. It's not that the fact that the close of the age is going to come. And we're going to see as we go through this passage that Jesus says, really, it's not for you to know those times and seasons. He says, actually, you're not supposed to be looking for that. You're to be praying for that day. You're to pray that it comes quickly. But yet that's not really our concern. Our concern is how you and I live in the midst of constant war and suffering. How do we live in an age, especially today, as we get more and more in a country that is hostile to our lifestyle and to our beliefs? How do we do that? And let me share with you, that's, I think, the key that Mark wants us to know. For some of you are going through some very difficult things in your life. You are suffering. Persecution is real. Natural affections in your family is really tough. You are suffering. For let me tell you, Mark tells us through Christ that he gives us several promises, and it's found in this passage. The first one, if you'd like to take notes, is found in verse 11. He says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. The promise given to us is that the Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower believers. You and I are not left without a guide. You and I are not left without hope. You and I are not left with a helper. We're not left to our own devices and intellect and ingenuity. In Acts chapter 6, Speaking of Stephen again, the first martyr, it is said that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in which he was speaking. It is also described that he cried out, being full of the Holy Spirit, that he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Here's the promise, that the Holy Spirit will empower you and he will help you in the things to say. Now, let me give you a warning. For this does not advocate for you and I not to be prepared to share the gospel or prepared to give the good news. Peter writes that in our hearts we're to honor Christ as Lord, as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower believers. And in that time of suffering, our prayer would be, should be, Holy Spirit, let me speak words that are edifying. Let me speak words that are true, but are filled with love. Let me speak words that are seasoned with salt. How do we do that? Each and every day, let's pray that. And then when those times of suffering come, whether it's from pressure from outside or pressure from the inside, you and I are ready to speak the words of the Holy Spirit that are found in His Word as we trust in the promises of God. What we're hearing here is not the Holy Spirit's going to come and speak to you like a parrot, but He'll bring in reflection the words of God, the promises of God. The second promise that's found in this passage is that Christ makes a promise to those who endure. He says, those who endure through suffering, those who endure through persecution, those who endure to the end will be saved. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on Matthew in his portion of 24 that's uh, parallel to this in Mark 13. He says, part of the effect of tribulation is to purify the body of professed believers. That's why during times of suffering, you'll see the apostasy happen. You'll see people who will leave, people who are not yet ready to take that stand. Revelation says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life. He says, do not fear in Revelations for what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Or 1 John, the apostle, who says, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you want to endure through suffering, through pain, through persecution? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent from dead works and turn towards them. For those who believe in him will be preserved and will be able to endure in the end. See, people fall away because of persecution, by being deceived by others, and a lack of love for Christ and his word. So here's the warning. Do not be one who is being deceived by others, who has a lack of love, and who's not ready for the persecution and suffering. You see, genuine faith perseveres. Are you truly a Christian? The Bible tells us if we endure, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. You and I need to pray that God will protect us and strengthen us for the times of suffering that we must face and are now facing. Both James and Peter wrote of the importance of steadfastness of being attached to our faith and endurance, for it brings salvation. Now, Christ does give a distinct indicator of time in verse 10. He says the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations. Well, what does it mean to proclaim the nations or the gospel to all the nations? Well, it began with the Great Commission. He tells us in Acts 1, 6, 8 that he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. Paul seems to say that it was completed during his time in Colossians, but yet we understand that the spread of the gospel is still needed. During his lifetime, he spread it from Jerusalem all the way to Spain and maybe even up to Great Britain. 
all of the known Roman world, but yet the gospel still needs to be preached and taught. According to one ministry, research indicates that there are still 6,200 people groups which are unreached, which means that they are without the presence of a church or a significant Christian community that they have not yet heard the gospel. So our time of persecution and time of suffering is still here. That's why we make a, a missionary push to push the gospel. Well, let me bring it down. I've given you a lot of information this morning. And I know there's quite a bit in these chapters. We may have to break it down as we go further. But as we see that there's going to be constant in our life, there's going to be suffering and persecution. There's going to be calamities of wars and false messiahs, deceivers, and people who twist the gospel, as well as just earthquakes and famines. There is going to be death. Each and every day we see it, we hear it, and people question the goodness of God. I believe it was New York Post who one time claimed, where is God? It's not enough to pray to God for help because God's not doing anything. But let me share with you that's not true. But the time is coming at the end. And he says you must be ready to suffer persecution. You must be ready to endure it. Let me ask you, what's our response to spiritual deception? What's our response to national conflict and natural disasters? What's our response to religious persecution and family conflict? What's our response? How are we supposed to deal with that, Jesus? Come on, Mark, what's the good news? The scripture tells us. He tells us in 2 Peter not to be discouraged, but patient. Don't overlook this one fact, he says. That the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count it, but He's patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. During this time of suffering, it's the time and how God uses it to call people to Him. This is a time for the church, for the believers, for Christians, to be active in sharing the gospel. So do not be discouraged but patient. Secondly, don't be lulled to sleep, but to be active. Titus tells us, for the grace of God has appeared, and he's brought salvation for all people, and he's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. He's called us to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age until Christ comes again. So what should you and I do? What's our response to these warnings, these dire calamities, this time of suffering and persecution is we're to be active, not lulled into sleep. We're not to be discouraged, but be patient. See, once again, Mark shows that Jesus is the Son of God. That's been his plan, his design for his gospel. Jesus, as the Son of God, foretells the future. He knows the future. He not only sees it, but he has determined it. He's preparing his disciples to live and to witness in a hostile world. The original readers of Mark, the Roman church, would have seen real persecution and abandonment from their families and friends. In just a short 40 years from Jesus' prediction, and only 10 to 15 years from Mark writing this gospel, the temple was destroyed. 
and Jerusalem sacked by the Romans. The old order was totally done. The Sadducees were destroyed, the Pharisees were disbanded, and the old order was totally gone. But for us today, Jesus' words are still there. Mark's gospel is still relevant for us 2,000 years after that event. For us today, we find ourselves looking back at those events. Yet those two constants, those two constants are still with us. Our persecution, at least in the United States, looks different, but is still ramping up. Just some FYIs and current news. You can see persecution, and you can see living in a hostile world where California Senate Bill 1146, I believe I have that number right, it's designed really to close Christian colleges and to prevent the Christian worldview from being uh, uh, spread throughout. The Obama administration has subtly redefined religious liberty to only places of worship that it excludes living out your faith. That religious liberty is now within the walls of a church, but you do not have it once you leave its doors. Your faith is to be private and personal, not something you're to share. You say, well, that can't happen here, but I tell you what, it's already happened in Russia. Russia now has passed the law preventing any proselytization, any spreading of the gospel outside of the church in a home. In other words, a Russian Christian cannot email a friend and invite them to church. They could not send a text saying, let me share with you how you can be born again. They cannot have an invitation and invite someone to church. And we're coming close to that type of event happening today. These are some tough words and some, some tough words with our children with us this morning. But let me tell you, we need to prepare ourselves for the persecution. We need to prepare ourselves for suffering. This is the world we live in, and we do ourselves a disservice to put ourselves with our heads in the sand. I would share with you that Christians have done that far too long. We have been lulled to sleep. We thought that we had a Christian nation with Christian uh, presidents and Christian people and Christian society. has been that for years. And even if not, the Bible says that God's word will proliferate. We will be a witness through suffering. Can I give you some things, and I just, this is my own words to you, my own heart. As we've learned earlier in our study of Mark, is that salvation comes through suffering. Salvation comes through suffering. You and I are not promised to escape suffering, but we're expected to embrace it and endure it. Our hope is not found in escaping suffering, but to look to the hope of Christ's return. To reject any gospel is what you and I are to do. Any teaching that does not include suffering and trials. And I'm here to tell you that there is a gospel light being spread throughout the world, and especially here. We are taking that and packaging up in just nice marketing, and we are then exporting that to all sorts of countries, and we're leading people to a Christless hell. And then lastly, if I could just encourage you this way, do not be filled with anxiety or despair. The sovereign God is in control. 
We are safe in his hands, and we're to trust in his promises. Is the end of the age close? Well, it's closer than the day the disciples asked it. Persecution is going to come. Suffering is part of life. But then we trust in the God who has all things in his hands. Let's pray if we would. Let's take a moment. Just pause. Would you consider the words of Mark? Consider the words of Christ, the warnings, the exhortations. And then would you lift up a prayer and respond to whatever the Holy Spirit may be calling you today. Maybe it's to a stronger trust in who Christ is. Maybe it's a call to, to, for a stronger boldness and more courage in the face of these constant calamities and suffering and persecutions. Maybe it's praying for God to restore your family to you. Maybe it's just, Lord, just help me to endure. Would you lift that up? And maybe God will be glorified in your life. You're a good God. And you're one who leaves us with the answers. Maybe not all the answers. Maybe not the timing of when you're returning. Maybe not the sign of all things or why all things happen as they are. But yet you give us the strength to endure. To continue to face these sufferings with glory to you. Lord, I pray that we would embrace our suffering. Lord, may you prepare us for the times of persecution. Father, I pray that you would lead us away from that. I pray that you would protect us. But yet, if it's your will, Father, give us the strength to face it, that we may glorify you. And Lord, that it may be for your glory and our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.